Headliner Radio, the creative voice. A very warm welcome to the Headliner Radio podcast. Today I'm chatting to monitor engineer Ian Beveridge, who's worked with the likes of Nirvana, Green Day, uh, Foo Fighters, Weezer and many more. Ian, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, how are you doing? I'm well, thanks. Good, good stuff, man. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be chatting to you today. Yeah, nice to talk to you too. Where are you, uh, where are you joining us from today, Ian? Well, I'm actually sitting outside the Ugly Mug Coffee Shop in Los Angeles, so <laughs> I'm, I'm here working uh, uh, for a few days, just um, just finished the show uh, uh, with uh, Dave Gold promoting his book tour, and then we leave to go to Seattle tomorrow for uh, more Foo Fire stuff, and um, busy, busy, busy. Nice. Well, yeah, I mean, that sounds, that sounds quite incredible. Um, how, how, how are things that are over there at the moment, generally? Um, you know, have things sort of fully opened back up now? Are you able to, to sort of yeah. do everything as normal? Yeah, yeah pretty much. Uh, in all honesty, it, it was very strange the first time I left home. I'd been doing shows remotely, um, doing shows from home, mixing, mixing at home. The band had done uh, maybe... Uh, maybe eight shows uh before i could travel across the border i I live in canada now and um and and uh, the band were doing shows in and around los angeles and so i did a bunch of shows uh remotely and um the first time i traveled to the u.s i was kind of i was kind of surprised because it's so different Mm. in america is in canada it's way more way more opened up in the u.s to be to be honest it's it you other than people in stores wearing masks, you would be you would be hard pressed to know that anything had actually happened. It's it's very open here. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, things are things are starting to get back to normal here in um in the UK. London's pretty much opened up. Um, so yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, I know there was a period uh, over there where it all you know obviously all everything shut down, but it seems to have have opened up yeah. quite quickly, really, especially in. Uh, in LA, yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really quick. We were just in London actually about oh, two weeks ago. We did a, we did a, a show for the for his book tour promotion at the Savoy Theatre, mm. and uh, and it was lovely to be back in London. I, I, I love London. It's one of my favourite cities in the whole world, and um, it was great to be there. But uh, again, it's just, uh, it's just, it is it. it it's surprising how open things are in the in the US. You would honestly, you, other than finding like uh, hand sanitizer uh, boxes everywhere that are all <laughs> empty, that's probably the only way you'd know that any pandemic had happened. Oh, other, yeah. than, other than people in stores wearing masks. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Now, be open. Yeah, it's, it's quite mad, isn't it? Really, um, but yeah. yeah, I guess nice to be returning to some sort of normality. But um, great to get back to work. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, when this all first happened, uh, Ian, what what was it like for you? Obviously, being a, you know, usually being used to to being on tour and stuff all the time, was it was it really weird? Did you was everything cancelled for you? Did you sort of have a a period of of no work, or did you manage to to find enough stuff to keep yourself busy? Um. Well, I um I am always busy. Um. I kind of always have uh, things to do, and I was quite—I was quite okay with with staying at home for a while. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It was kind of a—it was kind of a pleasure, to, honestly, to stay at home. And my, my wife works at home, uh, from home rather. So, um, 
we had a we had a very quiet uh, a year and a half of just um, me going for groceries and cooking and enjoying being at home mm-hmm. after you know thirty five years of touring. So it was a pleasant a pleasant respite from from touring life. You know, yeah. I I didn't it at all. And then um, like I say, as soon as the band started doing shows. We started this. Uh, um, we started doing these remote mixing uh, uh, things, which was a real education for me. It was really, uh, it was really good. So uh, essentially, how that worked was there'd be a console on site, there'd be a mixing console on site at the venue where the band were playing, mm. and then I would remote into the editor uh, that was hooked up to the console um, via. Uh, I think the software we used was Teams Viewer, and okay. so I could remote into the editor on the on the console sitting on site, and then audio was handled. Uh, Claire, uh, Claire Global did a uh, devised this thing where um, uh, we could tunnel audio uh, between uh, between the venue and me. Um, okay, probably I think that were, all we did was two because all I needed was a PFL, so it was a it was a uh, my cue bus was sent to me, mm-hmm. and then um, I had a microphone, a talk to stage mic that was sent to them, and then we just did a usual kind of, um, you know, like a Zoom call or uh, or a WebEx call or whatever it was mm-hmm. to actually uh, hook up the video. So I had video, I had uh, communication in both in two directions, and I had access to the console via the on-site editor. So you can actually make a mix happen. You can actually mix uh, uh, remotely. So I so, so I was in Toronto doing a doing a bunch of shows, and the band were in Los Angeles. And uh, I think we had, as far as latency was concerned, because that's the thing everybody gets uh, concerned about. I think we had about uh, the biggest it got was about forty milliseconds, which was right. awkward. Came the communication a little bit because of the delay, uh, but still doable. So that was fun. That was a lot of fun, and I kind of thought, man, if I could, uh, if I could do gigs and stay at home, wow, that's a that's a good way to <laughs> do it. Of course, I used my GHs for monitor, and I didn't use mm-hmm. any speakers or anything like that. I had a, I had a, a digital to uh, analog interface uh, with me there, and uh, <clears throat> I was able to. I was able to use the GHs for monitoring, mm. which was super cool. Which is normally what I do in a live situation, anyway. I don't yes. use Q wedges or anything like that. And uh, yeah, it was great, man. It yeah, was great. So I kept busy. Yeah, I kept uh, busy. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. It sounds like it. And and what a revelation, you know, just thinking, oh well, I can I can mix a live show um, just from my from my home office. That's uh, it's, it's, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's a bit like oh, I don't need to. I don't need to to go to the to the venue again but no that's um that's really cool man that's uh it's really yeah. interesting yeah it was fun it was a lot of fun and it was very uh educational too and uh and definitely something i would pursue again was it something that you adapted to quite quickly and were you able to to kind of get the workflow down to a t yeah. you know yeah. i suppose you'd have all your, your presets and everything anyway um right but ha- yeah ha- ha- was it quite weird to get used to it or not really um, to be honest, uh, there, there's a couple of difficult things. I mean, uh, I had to start, 
the only way you really can do it is if you start from a show that you already a scene that you already have established on the console. It would be difficult to do a, a show from scratch. Sure. So I started from um, I use a, a Yamaha PM10, and so I was using the the uh, PM10 editor, which is not in, it's not designed for doing that. So there's a so so it's kind of difficult to. Um, it took me a little while to establish a workflow, uh, okay. like what what windows I needed to have open on the editor to to allow me to mix in the way that I wanted to. Um, that took a little bit of time, um, but of course I did all of that in advance. You know, we're just playing with a playing with the editor, um, actually with the editor local on my on my local computer. Mm. So I kind of established uh, that workflow before we even attempted to do it live, and then um, so when we actually came out to to the to the live sound check, I kind of had it down by the time by the time we got there. Mm-hmm. And there's other there's, there's there's so many interesting advantages of doing it like that because, um, you know, obviously there was a. Uh, a time difference between me and the and the uh, and the venue, mm. but um, but the great thing was if I had a if I had like a a thought in the early morning while you know like Ellie's still fast asleep, I would just get up and be like, oh, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, so I can make all these changes that I needed to make whenever I wanted to make them. Yeah, which was. Which was huge, you know. So I, so I could get up in the morning, have my coffee, think, oh, I'm going to relabel this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to change the scent to this mix and change the scent to that mix, maybe EQ something slightly differently. <clears throat> so I could do all that work with no one else being around or the venue even being unlocked yet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it was really, um, there's a lot of positives. Yeah, quite nice, doing it. quite nice to be able to do that process at your own pace i would imagine yeah totally it was uh it was really it was really good plus at the end of the night you you uh you say your farewells you sign off you click the button and you go and have a glass of red wine before going to bed at night there you so, go there you go <laughs> <laughs> yeah no commuting that that's pleasant. it <laughs> quite pleasant. yeah yeah very good <laughs> yeah, good stuff good stuff man um <laughs> Yeah, that's great. I mean, Ian, if I go if I go back a little bit, and because um, I want to talk about how you first started working in um, in in mixing audio, because um, off the call off the call a moment ago, you said you actually started working in the studio was where you was where you started. Um, yeah. t- tell us about that time and and how you kind of broke through into to mixing live. Well, I was. Uh how it kind of all started was like as as almost everybody starts in the music industry most people start playing in bands or playing with an instrument or mm. or be involved that way somehow you know or dj and whatever it is they're doing you know like it's usually some kind of like and that's how i started i i i started from playing in bands and then i got interested in recording i remember i bought the first four track cassette recorder from fostex that was in scotland ever mm. oh wow and uh and uh, I bought it from, uh, uh, a, I, I knew the guys in the store and they told me they were going to get one. And I spent my uh, summer vacation uh, uh, digging graves 
to raise money. <laughs> I was a student at the time. I was, I was going to be a, I was training to be a civil engineer. And, um, but during the summer, <laughs> I would work any job that I could. That's what, actually, it was before I went to college. I was in school at the time. Mm. And, um, yeah, I spent my summer uh, mowing grass and digging graves at a local cemetery to, to raise money uh, so I could buy this four-track recorder. So I, I bought the four-track recorder like that. And then I bought a mixing console and then some crappy microphones. And then I would take all of that stuff into like rehearsal spaces in Edinburgh and record bands for free. Yeah, yeah. And to learn how to do this kind of thing. And I, I was passionate about it. I loved it so much. You know what I mean? I, I loved the kind of, you know, the... The science of sound, like how what makes it what makes it work? How how do you get a good sound? What's about you know how? Just all of it. I was just I just loved it. I read everything mm -hmm. I could, and then uh, then there came a time um, where I was unhappy being a civil engineer. Um, at this point, I was now at university, and I'd been recording bands uh, myself just. You know, like I say, no money. I just offer my, hey, I'll make a tape of your band if you like, you know, and then lo load into the uh, load into the rehearsal space on my own, like carry all the gear and make a recording for them. Well, then eventually there came a time when uh, uh, when I didn't want to be a civil engineer anymore, and there was an ad in the local paper that said, "Recording engineer required for local studio, no salary available." <laughs> And I left university to my dad's uh, disgust. I left university and started working in a basement studio under a video store for no salary. <laughs> and that's how, I started, that's how I started in the music industry. Wow. And it, it kind of just went from there. I worked my way up in local studios. Uh, go, uh, you know, I went to a bigger studio and a bigger studio and, and moved around and and got a bit of a resume going, and eventually, uh, eventually, I worked at uh, a place called Castle Sound uh, with a guy called Callum Malcolm for mm -hmm. a while. Uh, and um, Callum was a great guy. All the studios I worked at were very microphone based. This was at a time when a lot of people were using drum machines and sequencers and stuff like that. Okay. And all the places I worked at were very. Uh, very uh, old school recording. You know what I mean? We're talking uh, two-inch tape machines. Yeah. Uh, you know, a great microphone selections in all the places that I worked at, you know. Mm. And so it was a real education in old school recording. You know, I wasn't plugging in a, I wasn't plugging in something and DIing it and just pressing play and record. Mm -hmm. It was a, it was a whole technique to it that, that I learned and that's what I really loved you know that's why I taught myself like in those basement um rehearsal spaces over the years mm. and so so I worked <clears throat> so I worked as a recording engineer like that in Edinburgh and then um there was a band that came in um with a two-track tape and uh, uh sorry a two-inch tape and said uh we have a problem with our album can you re-record it for us and I re-recorded the album um for this band and then they went on tour and they said we need an, an engineer when you want to come and do some live shows with us and that was my introduction to doing live shows that's kind of how i started there okay. and then the guy that booked that band was a guy called russell warby who's the foo fighters booking agent to this day okay and uh he uh called me up after i'd done a couple of 
two hours. I was still working in studios in Edinburgh at the time. And he said, Ian, I've got this, uh, I've got this American band coming over called Nirvana. Do you want to, do you want to, they're looking for crew. Do you want to come and do it? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> and, um, I was kind of, I was kind of like, well, I've got my, I've got my career going here. I'm doing okay. I don't, you know, that's live stuff. Do I really want to keep doing that? You know, mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, it's kind of like starting to take over from my studio career. So I wasn't too sure. Anyway, the girl I was dating at the time, she said to me, well, maybe you should go do this. Maybe you should go do it. Anyway, Russell sent me uh, bleach in a cardboard yes. box, yes. like the, the album. Yeah. And I listened to Bleach and it kind of forgot. I mean, my history was all, you know, heavy rock and stuff like that yeah. as a kid, you know. Um, and so I listened to Bleach and it completely blew my doors off, for want of a better expression. Mm. You know, that album is just phenomenal, right? It is. So, it is. So I listened to Bleach and I was like, you know, I was getting encouraged from home to go and do this thing. And I was like, sure, I'll go do it. And, uh, and so I went to, I came down to London and I met Nirvana. We were staying at, uh, we were staying at a place called the Dalmatia Hotel. I think it was actually in the, the, there was a documentary just recently uh, about Nirvana coming to the UK. Anyway, I was on that tour and, um, Amazing. yeah, we stayed at the Dalmatia Hotel in Shepherd's Bush Road. There was one, one room for the crew which was me, a guy called Alex McLeod, a guy called Craig Montgomery, who was the front of house guy, and a guy called Nick Close, who was a guitar tech. Mm. And then there was one room for the band. So we had two rooms. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were all crammed uh, into that, one room. Oh, I bet that was fun, yeah. Oh, it was crazy, yeah. It was crazy. But um, I think that's... That was, um, you, you saying that, Ian, we... Uh, one of one of my uh, one of my colleagues here at Headliner recently spoke to Steve Lamack, who I think came to that hotel um, right. during that time to to talk to the band, and he took sure. that um, or that was when that famous picture of of Kurt on the on the slide was taken, um, that black and white um, famous picture yeah. that was that was all over the magazine. So yeah, that's uh, it's funny you should say that because it's you know obviously it's thirty yeah. years of Nevermind as well this year, isn't it? So it's um, it's uh, always. Oh yeah, it's, it's that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, wow. Now that's amazing. So, so that bleach. So that would would this have been? Are we talking sort of late eighties or or early nineties, Ian? Yeah, it would have been. Um, now, David, been uh, when I met them, uh, I David not been in the band for very long. Okay. Uh, so it. I used to think I'm not. I get confused on the years. Like Dave thinks it was ninety. I think it was eighty nine. I, I think it was. It's probably ninety. I'm not sure. It right. was because um, I think they'd come to the UK with. Did they come to the UK with Tad before then? I think they had. And then Dave and joined it, after. Yeah, it was. L seven was on the tour, if I remember rightly. But anyway, it's funny. I gave, um, I took a picture of the, uh, I took a picture of the van sitting outside the Dalmatia Hotel with a with a with a name Dalmatia in the background and mm-hmm. the, the blue LT twenty eight that we drove around in, 
and um, <laughs> I took a I took a picture of it. And anyway, I I recently found it, like you know, thirty odd years later, right? And I gave it to Dave as a present. I framed it, and Dave gave it to Dave as a present. And he has it in his office in uh, in the studio in in Los Angeles in the Foo Fighters studio. So. As a nice little memento going back over the years, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I'm not entirely sure that I'm not entirely sure of the year. I can't really remember. I think but, it, uh, I think the tour started. I think the Bleach tour started in '89. So by the time right. they would come over here, it was it might have been. Yeah, it may have been mm-hmm. the, the year following. Um, Def- definitely, Nevermind was not out. I do know that for a fact. No, no. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, so, what an what an incredible uh, what an incredible experience, and some very fond memories from that time, I would imagine, as well, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> there's, some great, there's some great memories, and some some not so great ones. There were it was. Um, I tell you, I tell you, what was the greatest memory of all was was actually. Um, and it, I, I don't want to sound, I hope this doesn't sound pretentious in any way, but watching those shows and watching the, uh, uh, watching the fervor of the audience, I mean, the audience was, the, the crowd was insane, mm-hmm. okay? It was, it was like a fever for the band. And I watched, I watched those shows, you know, and I, I remember thinking at the time, I was a kid, you know, I was a young kid at the time. And I remember thinking, man, I, I bet this is what it was like watching Zeppelin in 1971. Yeah. Yeah. I bet, I bet this is what it was like. It was so crazy. Uh, I mean, there was just, like I say, fever in the audience. It was, it was, uh, and Dave talked about it just the other day, actually. He said that, like, you know, they'd, they'd go on stage and, like, one of the first thing he would do is, 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 is check out where the exit was in case it got crazy, you know? <laughs> so, he, so he felt it too. But, but I remember thinking this, I, I, I knew at the time, I really, really felt like I was watching history being made. Yeah, incredible. And, and you definitely got that sense I, 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 and hopefully that's I, i'm definitely not trying to be pretentious in any kind of way but that's just a genuine feeling that i got at the time yeah yeah and, yeah. and I, I it was really it was really evident man it was it was it was really evident i think so, i think you're spot on to be honest because you know those those gigs will go down in history no doubt and you know we'll be watching them 20 30 years from now going bloody hell yeah like do you know what i mean yeah. like i don't think sure. yeah yeah um sure. i mean yeah amazing yeah. amazing yeah it was incredible times and and we never knew we never knew uh if it was going to be amazing and we never knew of, i'm i i had got to tell there was one show i remember them going on and i think they played like eight bars of one song and then just smashed the gear up <laughs> i mean you never knew what you were going to get you know um yeah yeah. and so there was that kind of like incredible excitement you know like what's it gonna what's gonna happen yeah what's gonna happen yeah you know um, we had incidences where you know like the barricades would be like on the verge of collapsing and you know people are being carried out left and right because they're passing out because of the heat yeah 
it, it was just madness. It was just madness, you know? <laughs> Chaos, yeah. Yeah. Great times. Yeah, Great yeah, times. absolutely, absolutely. And now, <laughs> you know, ha- having done this for for quite a while, Ian, um, you mm. must you must sort of know exactly what kind of gear um, that you like to use these days. You know, you have your preferences and you have your go to bits and pieces. Um, and we sure. already touched briefly on um, JH. You like to use your your in ear monitors, whether you're right. on the, whether you're on the road or indeed mixing at home. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about, I-, I suppose, how how long have you been using JH, Ian? Um, well, I used uh, the, since the inception of the company. I, uh, of course, Jerry um, uh, uh, Jerry had Ultimate Eels before JH, sure, and yeah. I, I used Ultimate Eels bef- uh, then. And um, it's um, yeah, I remember trying. In your systems back uh, back in the old days when it was, uh, I think Garwood was the name of the company, and you had to have like Apex uh, Apex compellers on the front end in case anything went wrong because you didn't want to deafen anybody from just uh, you know RF noise, and it was a real basic systems compared to what they are now. It's so much more reliable and the audio quality is so much better. I mean, it really is pretty much. Uh, hi-fi uh yeah yeah quality uh, really the defining quality is the fit of the piece that that's that's really that's really such a huge part of the is, is the fit of the piece but the technology for that is also improving at a vast rate of knots as well so mm-hmm. so the whole thing's just getting better and better and better and um like i say i've used them for a long long time i i i used to kind of duplicate dave's wedge setup in front of me uh sorry behind me for as a queue system and um and then uh probably i'm gonna say it's at least 10 years uh since i've actually used a, a you know a conventional uh queue wedge or queue system oh, really? yeah i've been using i've been using in instead of a queue for for a long time now and um it's just so much more uh you, you're at, it saves you your ears, wedge, doesn't it? At the end of, your, end of the night, I suppose your your head's not save, ringing. It does save yeah. your ears. It does save your ears for sure. And 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 the other thing is, you can be you can be more accurate. I think also because what a lot of people forget is that uh, you know, although the Q wedge, I mean these days these these days mixes are all sound the same pretty much identically when you when you were modern equipment modern crossovers amplifiers speaker technology like if you have if you have like eight mixes of the same system across a stage they pretty much all sound the same Mm. um back in the old days that wasn't the case you know the the crossovers might sound slightly different the amp might sound slightly different the, the, the 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 manufacturing technology and the actual speaker box itself was maybe not exactly the same either. And so there was more, way more variable. And the difficult thing is when monitoring is like, we, you have to establish a reference point. And um, now if you rely on a Q wedge, uh, a big mistake that people make is they assume that the sound coming out of the Q wedge is exactly the sound that people, that the person mm-hmm. or, or, or performer hears on stage, and that's a complete fallacy. That's not true at all. Um, 
because spatially it's in an entirely different space. It's usually in the, in a, in a, the, the cue wedge is usually in the corner of the room. You're stuck away in the corner. You have a, mic, a mixing desk with amplifiers stuck in front of it. The acoustic, acoustic environment that the cue wedge is in is completely and utterly different than the environment that the wedges on stage are, are in. And so the sound of that cue wedge is vastly different, yeah. no matter what. Even if, even if it does sound the same, as like I say, nowadays with technology, it does sound much closer. But back in the old days, it certainly didn't. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, a way I think a better way to do it is like, is, uh, is go out there, listen to, listen to what it sounds like out there. Actually listen to it. And then listen to it, what it sounds like in your in-ears and you establish a reference point. And then once you have that reference point, you can take that reference point everywhere you go because your in-ears are not subject to the acoustic environment yes. that the cue wedge would be in. Yeah, it makes sense. Understand? So, so, you, so you have a, a much more consistent reference. Yes. And that's why I like to use them. Yeah, and I imagine like the shows that you're doing now, Ian, do you... So would everyone, everyone working on that show would be using JH in ears across the board sort of for that consistency as well? No, no. Or not I, necessarily? Not necessarily. It doesn't, I use them even if I'm doing a band on completely on wedges, I'll still use my ears. Okay. Um, like I say, I'm just, I'm using them for that consistent reference point. Um, with the Foo Fighters, there's only Nate is the only uh, guy on stage that's that's on Ennials. Um, Dave's on four M2s. The rest of the band are pretty much on two M2s each. Uh, Taylor's on a stereo pair of M2s and a sub and a thumper. And Nate's on ears. I obviously have side fills and all kinds of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But but uh, still, I use the GHs as a reference because. Um, it's consistent. It's consistent to me, and um, then I can draw, hopefully, draw logical conclusions from that reference point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I, am I right in saying you're using the uh, the rock sands? I am. I is, am. Is there I'm anything the particular? Is there anything particular you like about? It? I mean, I've heard lots of good things, but is there anything you know you found in particular that you that you like about those ones, uh, Ian? Um. Compare. I mean, like I say, the technology is improving all the time, and Jerry Jerry releases new pieces um, quite regularly. But um, I've just had this set of Roxanne's for a long time. I like them. Mm. I've mm. had I've, goodness knows uh, how many times I've had them had them repaired because I've stood on them or, or, <laughs> or dropped them. Or, you know, <laughs> they've been repaired many times. I've had them for a long time. Mm. I send them back to get checked out every now and again, and and uh, Kevin Glendening checks them out for me and sends me them back mm -hmm. and makes sure they're all they're all up to par, you know. But um, excellent. I haven't really need the thought that uh, or, or felt the need to to uh, move on from them, uh, and I'm quite happy with them. So yeah, I mean maybe maybe I'll look at upgrading at some point to to whatever the new thing is. Like, but um, again, like if I. It's the reference point for me, but if, if I was mixing a band, I don't know, say um, say I was, I was coming in to mix a band and I hadn't done them before, um, 
ideally you want the band to be on the same earpieces as what you're listening to that establishes a closer reference right so um i didn't i try and i try and encourage the band to quite often people will have old earpieces that don't sound so good or whatever and i'll try and encourage them to you know to upgrade to to something like the roxanne or or, or better but uh um yeah, I've just kind of I've just kind of stuck with them over the years, and uh, and I like them. Yeah. Um, I'm sure at some point, if I destroy them totally, I'll, I'll look at upgrading <laughs> something else. But um, yeah, they sound good to me. Yeah, I mean, like I, yeah, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, you know, you get used to something. You there's there's no right. need to to change it necessarily, is there? You know, you get your workflow, you get uh-huh. your um, yeah. So no, that's that's yeah. that's great, man. That's great. Um, yeah. Okay, I mean, what what have you got planned for the rest of the year? And obviously, it's it's been a it's been a crazy it's been a crazy sort of eighteen months. Um, and right. like we were saying at the beginning of the of the chat, hopefully things will will get back to to full normality soon. Um, sure. But what what have we, what have you got planned, mate? In terms of of gigs, in more terms Foo of fires. yeah, more just Foo Foo, yeah, stuff. yeah, awesome. More Foo Fighters stuff. That's uh, we have a uh, we're going to tour. Uh, I think we have a little bit of time off, maybe in November. I'm not sure exactly, uh, but um, I think we're going. I think we're uh, we're going south of the equator for a little while. Okay. Um, and then, uh, anyway, pretty much, pretty much working right up till Christmas. I think I'm supposed to get home on the 17th of December or something like that. Mm. And then, um, then next year we're is a uh, hopefully um hopefully uh i think we have planned like a full full year of touring so amazing yeah i think it's all it's all go Very it's all go in food fighter world and then uh, like dave loves dave loves doing um he never ever he never rests dave's probably the hardest working guy in music yeah, yeah man yeah. that guy works like crazy so so we've been doing these uh, book tour shows uh, promoting his new book mm. and uh and i'm sure there'll be some other kind of like site projects that they'll be involved in and um and we roll on i'm sure there will be i'm sure there will be <laughs> <laughs> we roll on yeah. yeah it's a matter of uh, it's a matter of finding time to do it all actually yeah, so yeah so i think we're going to be busy um busy at least for the next year and a half anyway oh uh, well that's fantastic ian you know obviously it's, it's been a hard time for a lot of people working in music of course and um, yeah, it's good to hear, it's good to hear that you know you've got this all on uh on your schedule to uh right. to keep you busy and to look forward to and um huh. yes and uh you know everyone's getting out and enjoying the music again and and the fact that you can facilitate that is just uh is is excellent so yeah um well we try we yeah, try that's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah great stuff man thank you um thank you so much ian for uh for taking some time to chat i really appreciate it no problem man anytime uh anytime i enjoy it all right well listen all the best and um with everything you've got going on at the moment hopefully we'll catch up very soon uh you take care all right you too man take Cheer- care cheers man bye-bye headliner radio Supporting the creative community.